This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And the prodigal son was broke, and he needed to work to survive, to get money. And so he ended up getting a job feeding pigs. It's a very undignified job for anybody, especially if somebody Jewish feed pigs. And he was so hungry that he just wanted to eat the food that he was feeding to the pigs. And so he realized at that state, that's what broke him. What he realized is that he'd been wrong, so very wrong. And it was time for him to return home. And the phrase that's used in Luke 15 is that he came to himself. He came to himself, just like when he was out there wanting to do all that fun time with those women, he left himself. And now he, he finally returned back, says in Luke 15, 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Now notice what he says here. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He's thinking. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am more worthy to be called thy son. Okay. Okay, by the way, that's all he said because he didn't say that last part, make me as one of hired servants. He planned on doing that, but he didn't do it. So he comes to himself, he realizes that he's wasted his inheritance, he's wasted his family relationship, he's wasted his future, and he's just about to waste his very life itself, and then turns around and tries to recover. But what we saw him doing there in that passage, Luke 15, 18 through 19, is he's thinking, he's thinking about what he's gonna say. He's thinking, he's going over, he's thinking about the exact words that he's gonna say, and he's going over and over again, and we can be sure there were, there must have been a lot of drafts in his mind. Well, I'm gonna say this, no, I'm gonna say that. Oh, this is a better word, oh, I'll say it this way. And he's thinking about, what, what if? 
What if my father is so angry he doesn't even come out to talk to me? Now what am I going to do? What if he just un my father just unloads on me and tells me what a terrible son I've been? What am I going to do then? What if my father just says, you know what? It's finished with you and me, and now you're rejected and you're disowned as a son. So each of these what ifs, all this anxiety going over his mind. Now, I don't, and here's the Lord says, in that kind of situation, that kind of scenario, in verse 19, when they deliver you up, take no thought. Don't be anxious. Take no thought how or what you shall speak. The prodigal son was thinking about what he was going to say, but he wasn't just thinking about the words, getting the right words. He's also thinking about how he's going to say it. What position his body is going to be in? Is he going to be cumped down or stand up? And any of you is going to hold his head up or is going to hold it down? And he's going to look at his father. So a lot of choreography going on in his mind. And that's why the Lord said, take no thought how or what you shall speak. He didn't say take no thought what and how you shall speak. And it's significant that the Lord puts the how in front of the what. Because we tend to worry about more about how we're going to say something before we worry about getting the exact, we craft out the words, get the right words. So it's just like this prodigal son. We want to do a really good job of bringing our points across. So we practice how we're going to do it. You know, I know a friend of mine, he's a pastor, and in his study there, preparation of study, he's got a big mirror the Bible front there, it preaches to the mirror, you know. Anyway, so the thing is, is that whenever a person does all that taking thought for how and what's going to said, what happens is that, is that he gets caught up in the performance of it all. And he ends up, what happens is he ends up, he doesn't know, but he ends up suppressing what people are really looking for. Because what people are really looking for is just a plain, sincere openness. That's what they want to see. People want to hear from someone who speaks from the heart. And all that studying to hit the right word and say it with the right eloquence, it just becomes kind of an obstacle to the free flow from the heart. And you can see this difference between the prepared, perfect words and flawless eloquence versus the spontaneous speaking from the heart. When Paul spoke from his heart when he was accused by a hired professional orator named Tortullus, X24-2, when he was called forth, it says, Tortullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear of us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. You know, if someone like that talks, you better grab a dictionary to find out what some of those words are that he's saying there, and you get really impressed, you know. Okay, then it comes Paul's turn, Acts 24.10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself 
because thou mayest understand that there were yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship, they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. All right, so that's quite a contrast between the, you know, the, the eloquent professional order and Paul who just speaks right off the cuff and tells it like it is. And the result was, as far as Felix was, the judge, the result was in Acts 24, 23, three Acts, he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and let him have his liberty and he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So what happened? The professional order, Tertullus, came across as sterile, he came across as cold, came across as polished, but when Paul said, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, he came across as happy to respond, and he was believed. Paul was believed over the academic, eloquent other guy, Tertullus. And this is what the Lord is talking about, to get rid of anxiety drives a person to take thought for what he's gonna say and how he's gonna say it. That's why it says in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It's easy to say that. It's really easy to say, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for anything, that's easy. But the question is how? How do you do that? How do you not be anxious for anything? Well, the answer is in that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. In other words, prayer that trusts God, trusting God that leads to praying to him and knowing that what will happen will be the answer to prayer. That will be the answer to prayer. You asked. It may not be what you want, but you asked, you got your answer. Anxiety is really to second-guess God. It's to second-guess God and say, well, you know, maybe God said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that's not the best for me. No, I feel anxiety. I feel like I'm missing out. Every day that goes by and I don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm missing out. So trust removes this anxiety. Trust in God removes the anxiety. Now, that's what the Lord is saying here when he says uh, specifically, you trust in God. You don't be so anxious. You go over all of what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. You trust in God because you've got a promise in your hand. And the promise is, in verse 19, the promise is, when they deliver you up, take no thought for how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you'll speak. That's the promise. The promise is, it'll be given you in that same hour what you're going to speak. That's a promise of a gift. That's a JIT, J-I-T, just in time. That's a just in time gift. Because it's not gonna be given before you need it, but it's gonna be given exactly, the response is gonna be given, not, and it's not gonna come too late, and it's not gonna come early, it's gonna be, oh, you know, you, you know, not gonna be too late. You, you're not gonna sit there and say, ah, I should have said that. No, not gonna happen. The promise is going to be just the right words given at just the time that you need it. And so the Lord said, and by the way, you look at what the Lord said. The Lord said, don't worry about how and what you're going to say, because, you know, we tend to put the how in front of the what. Don't worry about how you're going to say it and what you're going to say. But when the Lord responded, 
The Lord only said that it would be given what you're going to say. He didn't say anything about the how. He didn't say anything about that. And the reason is because when you focus on the how, you come off staged. And so the Lord wanted his 12, concentrate on what you're going to say, become married to the message, and the how will come off natural. The more the person puts an emphasis on the what you're going to say and not on the how, the more he gets out of the way of the message and its impact. So this promise here in verse 19 of being given just what you're going to need to say at the time, it's extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. Like the parting of the Red Sea. That was extraordinary. It was far from ordinary. It didn't happen every day. You know, I love this passage in Exodus 14.10. The whole history of it all. Exodus 14.10 just kind of summarized Pharaoh's getting closer and closer with his chariots. They lift up their eyes. It says they're painfully afraid, sore afraid, the children of Israel are. And, uh, and then they start with their anxieties that drives them to say wrong things. Oh, Moses, because there weren't, enough, there weren't any Jewish graves, there weren't any stars of David in Egypt, and so that's why you brought us out here to kill us, because you didn't want to have the graves there. And didn't we tell you it'd be better for us if we just would have served the Egyptians and then rather than die here in the wilderness? Really bad words. And Moses says, fear ye not, like take no thought, don't worry. Stand still, keep your eyes open because you're gonna see something extraordinary. It's gonna be the salvation of the Lord. He's gonna show you today. And those Egyptians that are hot on your trail, you won't see them alive anymore. And so the Lord said to Moses, he says to Moses, he says, go out there, lift up your rod, lift up your rod over the sea and divide it. Can you imagine that? He says, God said to Moses, take that stick in your hand lift it up, and divide that big ocean in front of you. <laughs> yeah, like that had happened before. And then he explained to him, he says, he's going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. He's going to be honored with them. And uh, Moses did it. And um, all of a sudden, the Egyptians were in a lot of darkness and confusion. I don't know why these chariots aren't working the way they did yesterday. There's something wrong with the wheels. Where's the guy who serviced the wheels? You know, they're not working right. Meanwhile, Moses stretches out his arm, he stretched out his hand over the sea, and this huge, strong east wind comes, so strong, the waters divide, and the children of Israel go right through the middle of that ocean there on dry ground, not even muddy sand, dry ground. They got a wall on this side and a wall on that side. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that group, walk in there and say, Wow, never saw that before. That's a pretty tall wall of water, isn't it? Yeah, both sides. I wonder what would happen if one of the sides fell in. Don't think about that. Just keep walking. (laughs) Right? That would be amazing. Now, so what was so remarkable about that history is what happened. You know, the wall goes, whoa, you know. Just like in Matthew 10, 20, in verse 20, the miracle of the Spirit speaking in a child of God. What was remarkable about that history was totally unpredictable. Nobody could have said, well, this is what's going to happen. You know, maybe some meteors could come down from the sky and kill all the Egyptians. Okay, that's one option I can understand. But the ocean dividing up like that, not predictable. No one could have imagined it. Just like in verse 19, no one can imagine the words that are going to be given. 
And the other thing that's remarkable about it is when it happened, when it happened, Moses didn't say, well, I'm going to go up, up ahead here. Come and I'll, I'll have that, that ocean all divided right for you. Just follow me. So what happened? It happened just when the Egyptians were closing in. in the, it was a JIT miracle. That was a just-in-time also, not in advance. Just like you said in verse 19, the right words would be given in that same hour, at that split second when they're needed, not in advance. It's interesting that uh, it talks about here, it says that it'll be given you. And it's very interesting when you look at the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, where it says this, when they bring you into the synagogues, into the magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. See, the given you in Matthew 10, 19 is explained in Luke 12, 12 as the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour. The given you is a form of teaching. That means that when we're under the gun, when we're under verbal attack, when we really got to come forward, the Holy Ghost not just gives words to repeat, but it, it not just puts words in the mouth, but he teaches us. In other words, on the spot, we get a new understanding of something, something we never saw before. I have never learned so much as when I'm under verbal attack. Just a couple days ago, I was speaking with a rabbi, we were looking at Matthew, and he could not understand how in the book of Matthew, Mary had a child from the Holy Spirit. And he was saying to me, who wrote that account? Helping me. Was he there? Well, Matthew, did, did he know, was he there? How did he know that? Who told that writer that? How do you know that's true? See, it was a lot of questions left and right. And it was just at that time when I responded and I saw something at that moment that I understood something and it was how important it was that when you're going through the New Testament, don't stop. Keep on going, even some things that are hard to understand because, and it was just then I saw an analogy and I said to him, his son, his name is Yossi, Rabbi, just picture a beautiful day. And you say to your son, Yossi, you and I are gonna take a ride together and we're gonna go to the bagel factory. And this is a wonderful bagel factory. Tell your son that you're gonna see how, not only see how bagels are made, but there's gonna be Jewish music there and the bagel chefs are gonna dance a dance. And you told Yossi that you're really gonna enjoy it all. So you start off on your ride, and 10 minutes into the ride, Yossi says, are we there yet? And you say, not yet. And Yossi says, stop the car, I'm getting out. You told me we we're going to the bagel factory. We're not there yet, I want out. I don't wanna go any further. And you say to him, Yossi, Yossi, please, please, just wait. Just keep going as the ride's gonna be worth it. Just wait, you're really gonna enjoy seeing the bagel factory. So you continue trip. About 10 minutes later, Yossi says, are we there yet? <laughs> and you say, not yet. Yossi says, okay, that's it, that's it. That's really it. Stop the car. I've had it. You promised we were going to see the bagel factory. You haven't delivered, and, and I don't want any go any longer. And you say, Yossi, and you turn around to your son. You say, Yossi, you're killing me. You're killing me. Please be patient. I know how much you're going to like the bagel factory. Just wait a little bit. You'll see the ride was worth it. And I told the rabbi, I said, please don't let the account 
of the virgin birth stop you from continuing on the ride in the New Testament. Because I promise you that if you continue on this ride, you're gonna get a prize of eternal life, you'll be adopted as a child of God, and I told her, don't be like Yossi and say, that's it, I not got what you said I'd get, eternal life, and I wanna stop and get out of the car. Now, I never saw that analogy before about his son's impatience, but it was taught by God when I was under the gun. And I had to say, because of Luke 12, 12, the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. And this is something that is not easy to understand. So in the history of Moses, we always think, oh, Moses, the great Moses. Well, there were some not so great times of his life too, just like in our lives. And when God told Moses that he was to go to Pharaoh and speak for God to Pharaoh, Moses didn't want it. Moses didn't want the job. He didn't want to speak to God for because Moses felt he wasn't a good speaker. That's what he felt. He felt that it's not my, my gift, Moses would say. And he argued with God in Exodus 4.10. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's tongue? And who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So again, you know, Moses looks at himself and he says, not me, God, not me. You chose the wrong person. I'm not eloquent. I'm not fast on my feet. I'm not quick. He says, I got the slow, slow, slow of speech condition. I got the slow tongue syndrome. Lord, there's so many better speakers than me. Go, you chose the wrong person. And here's how God responded when God, with those arguments. And, and God responded essentially with Matthew 10, 19. Moses, don't worry about it. It'll be given to you what you'll say in the hour. As we saying in Exodus 4, 12, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses told God, I'm very weak in the mouth department. And God says, I'll be with your weak mouth. He says, in essence, he was kind of saying, God was kind of saying to Moses, Psalm 81.10, open thy mouth wide and I'll fill it. So in essence, that's what Moses was being told. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Just trust God, it'll be given you. Same thing, it's interesting. I don't know what it is, but same thing happened with the prophet Jeremiah in his um, commissioning chapter, which was chapter one of Jeremiah. And he had the same problem as Moses did. When God called him to speak, Jeremiah 1.5, before God told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, this is Jeremiah, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm a child. But the Lord said unto him, say not I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. So again, Jeremiah, same like Moses, he says, Not me. I can't speak. I'm a child. And God told to Jeremiah, Don't talk that way. Don't ever say that. Don't look at yourself as if you have to come up with the words. It's not about you coming up with the words. It's about me putting the words in your mouth. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.